What's up? My name is Charlie Ungemach. I'm the founder and curator of the Gird Up podcast. Today we're going to talk about social justice and what we as Christians uh, can be doing, what our focus should be in this time of turmoil and strife. We're going to talk particularly about Abraham Lincoln and how his growth in faith and knowledge of the truth shaped our nation today. Let's get into the show. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. All right. Amid the racial unrest and societal turmoil of the last couple of weeks, been a whole bunch of statues of Abraham Lincoln from different parts of the country, which have come under attack, which people want to take down. Um, and they've said all kinds of crazy things about Abraham Lincoln. So let's talk about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, one of my favorite books that uh, I read pretty regularly is written by Stephen Mansfield. Uh, he wrote the book, uh, Lincoln's Battle with God. He also wrote The Faith of the American Soldier, The Faith of George W. Bush, uh, The Faith of uh, Barack Obama, um, uh, The Faith of Winston Churchill. He wrote Mansfield's Book of Manly Men. He wrote Killing Jesus. He wrote, he's written all kinds of awesome books about faith and about masculinity and about Christianity. Um, and he wrote extensively about Abraham Lincoln's faith. Uh, and so upon examination of Lincoln's speeches and writings and journals, it becomes very clear and very evident um, that Abraham Lincoln was a staunch abolitionist his entire life. He despised the practice of slavery. He actively spoke against it. He was even disgusted by it. And the most uh, notable evidence of this were his series of debates with Stephen Douglas um, in the year 1858. He did it over and over and over again. He kept debating Stephen Douglas and talking about how um, slavery needed to end, that it needed to be abolished. Um, but with all that said, once he was elected president um, and as northern abolitionists began to continue to gain power um, and they grew in number and in resolve um, and as abolitionist bills began to be introduced into um, uh, for legislature and Congress, um, and even as the southern states began to talk about seceding and then eventually secede, Abraham Lincoln refused um, to even consider the idea of presenting his own abolitionist uh, thought to the public um, or of pursuing abolitionist, abolitionist legislature, um, even though his conviction was that slavery was unjust and wrong. Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Throughout the year, early years of the Civil War, Lincoln firmly believed, he held on to the hope um, that a truce could be found between the North and the South, right? So that they, they, he believed that they could find a, a peace, that the, the fighting could be halted. Um, and in efforts to do this, to secure such a truce, um, he refused to introduce any of these abolitional abolitionist proposals. Um, he was hesitant to approach the subject of slavery because he knew that to do so would only further divide the nation, divide the nation, I'm sorry, 
Um, it would stiffen the resolve of the Confederacy. It would intensify the animosity between the two sides. Um, and from the very beginning, Lincoln and many other uh, Republican politicians considered it just to be an uprising, um, political unrest, which they thought could be solved by political means, and therefore they didn't want to burn the bridges. Um, and Lincoln believed that a swift and hopefully <laughs> relatively peaceful solution to the unrest was more important as a nation um, than the abolition of slavery. And he, he talked about that fairly often. Um, he believed that the North and the South could reconcile, and he believed that with the Union restored, so he wanted to restore the Union first and then abolish slavery, and he believed that the, once the North and South had reconciled, they would be able to come up with some sort of strategy to abolish slavery that was agreeable to both sides, um, and, and this is evident in his House Divided speech. He gave an entire speech talking about how a House Divided cannot stand. Um, Lincoln was, at this point in his life, more than anything else, he was a politician, and he was far more a politician than he was an, an emancipator. However, as 1862 came to a close, and as it became more and more apparent that only in the unconditional surrender of the South was the war going to end, or if the South didn't you know, surrender, <laughs> it had to be the dissolution of the states. So either the end of the United States or the complete surrender of the South was going to end the Civil War, um, and compromise was not going to happen. Um, compromise was out the window, and it was this realization um, and the hope that one conflict could solve both problems, both abolition and uh, the, the reunification of the United States. He hoped to kill two birds with one stone, and so he chose to go forward with the Emancipation Proclamation. And this is not a flattering truth for Lincoln. Um, this isn't you know, looking back with rose-colored glasses, we'd love to say that Lincoln was always this staunch abolitionist. He was not. Um, even though he believed slavery was wrong, he believed that there were more important things um, going on in our nation. And whether you agree with them or not, it's the unflattering truth that uh, the freeing of the slaves was lower on his priority list than the uh, resolution of the Civil War. Um, Frederick Douglass even talked about it when they... When they um, when it dedicated the emancipation was the emancipation memorial in Lafayette Park in Washington D.C. That's the one that's been on the news a lot lately. That they want some people want to take down. Um, when they dedicated that, uh, Fred, Frederick Douglass said, "It must be admitted, and truth compels me to admit that even here, in the presence of the monument that we have erected in his memory, Abraham Lincoln was not, in the fullest sense of the word, either our man or our model." In his interests, in his associations, in his habits of thought, and in his prejudices, he was, he was a white man. He was preeminent, the white man's president, entirely devoted to the welfare of the white man. He was ready and willing at any time during his first years of his, of his administration to deny, postpone, and sacrifice the rights of humanity and the colored people to promote the welfare of the white people of his country. This is true. And it's well documented, but it didn't remain true throughout all of Abraham Lincoln's presidency because there's more to this story of Abraham Lincoln than just politics. This is also a very important story of faith, and it's one that's very important to consider in the times that we're in right now. The Abraham Lincoln, a lot of people don't realize and not understand this, Abraham Lincoln spent most of his life as an avowed atheist or as a religious skeptic. He kind of bounced back and forth between the two of them. And as a young 
young man, he often mocked and ridiculed and belittled, even persecuted many of the Christians of Springfield, Illinois, where he was living. Uh, he, he gained a reputation for terrorizing preachers. He would debate reverends that came to town because they would have traveling parsons, right? He would debate them when they came into town, do it very publicly. He would try to uh, uh, embarrass them on every possible occasion. Um, supposedly, he even once wrote a manuscript that he believed disproved the existence of God. Um, the only reason we don't have that manuscript is that one of his friends, who was afraid that such a manuscript, such a book being published would ruin Lincoln's career as a lawyer, he took it from Lincoln and he threw it in a fire and he burned it. Um, Lincoln did not believe in God. He was not a Christian for most of his adult life. But as the years went on, this changed and Lincoln began to mature and his beliefs evolved. By the time he got into the 1840s and he began running for a political office, uh, he proclaimed that he subscribed to the doctrine of necessity. It's similar to modern agnostic thought, uh, the belief that there is, in fact, a higher power. And it continued to evolve. And by the 1850s, Lincoln had given up his attack on Christianity. And he spoke often of God's providence and the comfort that he found in the knowledge of God's guiding hand in human affairs. Although, in conversations uh, with his favorite pastor, um, he wasn't quite on board with Christianity yet. Lincoln ever, never actually joined a Christian church. He was never an official member of a Christian church. Um, but his friend, James Smith, was the, was the pastor at uh, Springfield's First Presbyterian Church. And in conversations with James Smith, he said often that he doubted the divinity of Jesus, even though he believed in God. But even that changed, and by the 1860s, Lincoln spoke often of the comfort of God's love and his joy in knowing that his, his sons who had died awaited him in heaven. Um, and he often invited ministers who were visiting Washington, D.C. to come to the White House and be his spiritual guides. Um, and, most interesting, according to his wife, um, on the day that Lincoln died, he even expressed the, the hope that when he was done being president, they could travel to the Holy Land together and he could, quote, walk in the steps of his Savior. So by the time Lincoln died, he was very much a Bible-believing Christian. But that doesn't mean that when Lincoln got into office, he already was. Um, so we need to remember that when Lincoln began in Washington politics, his faith was young, <laughs> he was very confused, and his faith was weak. Um, and by the time of his death, there is very little doubt that Lincoln was, in fact, a Bible-believing Christian, as I said. And we can't overlook his the role his faith played in his decision to make the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, while the political reality that the South wasn't going to uh, accept the compromise became an important part of his decision, um, it's not the whole story. After Lincoln was elected um, the first time, he remarked to several of his friends that he thought he would never see Springfield again, which he was right. Um, and he also, after he was elected the second time, stated that he didn't think he was going to survive his second term as the president. And he was also right there. Um, as Abraham Lincoln's faith grew, um, he grew less and less concerned with the political consequences of his decision to end slavery, which is something he had wanted to do but chose not to for political reasons. Um, he knew that should he declare slaves to be free um, and the North lost the war after he declared slaves free, that he would likely be executed. He also understood that if he declared slaves to be free, um, he was effectively declaring that no conditional surrender was going to be um, acceptable, that no compromise on the issue of slavery would be even considered by the North, would 
that they wouldn't consider anything less than all, an unconditional surrender from the South, which is what eventually had to happen. Um, he also understood that failing to abolish slavery before the war ended would just probably lead to more unrest and perhaps even another war. And he also believed that making a proclamation of emancipation would be the same thing as signing his own death warrant, which again, he proved to be right. Um, as Lincoln grew in faith, he began to see the entire war, the whole Civil War, not as a struggle between men, um, but as an effort to preserve... Oops. As Lincoln grew in faith, he began to see the entire Civil War and his role in the Civil War, not as an effort to preserve the Union or as to free the slaves or even the conflict between men, but simply as God's plan to provide and establish liberty and justice for all. Um, Lincoln said in April of 1864, I claim not to have controlled events, but confess plainly that events have controlled me. Now, at the end of three years' struggle, the nation's condition is not what either party or any man devised or expected. God alone can claim it. Whether it is tending seems plain. If God now wills the removal of a great wrong, slavery, and wills that we of the North as well as you of the South shall pay our fair price for our complicity in that wrong, slavery, impartial history will find therein cause to, and to attest and to revere the justice and goodness of God. The Emancipation Proclamation was a direct result of Abraham Lincoln's faith, and the greater his faith grew, the greater his resolve, courage, and his hope for the future became. Um, and this is not only true of Abraham Lincoln, but it's true of many other leaders um, throughout time and throughout our modern era. Um, it's true about Winston Churchill, George Washington, Martin Luther, St. Patrick, Joan of Arc, Martin Luther King Jr., Desmond Tutu. They all, and many, many more, um, accomplished greater and greater things as their lives went on um, because their faith became greater and greater and their focus on heavenly things became greater and greater. As C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most good for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next world. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. It is those who focus on the next life who do the most good in this life. It is those whose eyes are fixed upon heaven who accomplish the greatest feats of peace, justice, and kindness on earth. The Apostle Paul admonishes us, set your minds on things above, not earthly things. The world we live in right now is anything but peaceful. There is upheaval and unrest all around us. And there is injustice in our nation that needs to be addressed. But in the name of justice, there are all kinds of people who are pursuing other and even greater injustices. For many Christians, particularly white Christians, this is also a very real kind of surreal um, unsettling introspection game going on, right? We're asking questions of ourselves that we've never really asked before. Um, we're realizing things about ourselves we've never really asked before. There's sentiments coming up um, and biases that we've never discovered in ourselves before. Um, and we don't even know if they're real or not. I don't know if it's emotion, if it's because somebody's telling me, because it's a real examination of my heart. It becomes so confusing and frustrating. It's unsettling and it's upsetting. Um, and it's becoming more and more difficult for particularly the younger generation um, to determine what is actually true both in our hearts and in the world around us. But the answer 
to all of these questions is not simply to look within and to sort out our feelings and to make sure that we're on the, you know, the side of right and good all the time, um, or to get control of our feelings and emotions and prejudices, to get woke, right, or make a whole bunch of social media posts to make sure everybody knows. The reality is the answer is simple, and it's the same answer that it has always been for all time and for all eternity. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. That's going to solve our problems. If we want peace to be restored in our nation, live justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. If we want to find hope in a sin-darkened world, we must live justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. If we want to be champions of social justice, we must live justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. If we want to make this world a better place, we must live justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. If we, There is only one place to find peace and to find hope and to find joy and to find love. And the only solution to the problems that we face today and the problems we've faced for all of time is very simple. We must live justly, we must love mercy, and we must walk humbly with our God. God's blessings. Be smart, be safe, go be the man that God created you to be. Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.